Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. I've got my top hat, bow tie, fluffy bathrobe, and I'm ready for IPSD. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast coming to you on a special 2014 IPSD. Yes, International Pipe Smoking Day is today. This is going to be a great edition. No pipe parts this week because I've got two guests joining me on the phone in just a minute. Sykes Wilford from SmokingPipes.com and noted collector and author Rick Newcomb will be on the phone. Instead of an interview, this is going to be a roundtable discussion on a couple of topics. Figured no better people to open it up to. One great from the industry, one great from the collector's side. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to let this thing go as long as we can, too. So I hope you've got a big pipe packed full. Later on, we'll do a mailbag. Got another listener submission of some fun stuff and rant at the end. All that coming up in the 2014 International Pipe Smoking Day edition of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, Just real quick here on the home front, a couple of things. One, I did miss the St. Louis Pipe Show. I'm sorry. I couldn't have planned, couldn't even have planned to get away to do it, but even if I did, we were snowed in. Absolutely no flights were getting out of Charlotte, so I couldn't have made it anyway. But from what I've heard from everybody, the uh, St. Louis Pipe Show was a great success. Lots of young guys there. Love to see all you young people out there. Haven't seen a lot of show reports online. Talked to a couple of people, but heard it was a great time. Uh, don't forget, check PipesMagazine.com. Check the events page for the upcoming events near you. And check through the forums for uh, local pipe clubs. Make sure and get out join a pipe club if you get a chance. All right, everybody, I hope you're enjoying International Pipe Smoking Day. If you're listening to this later over the weekend, hope you're getting a chance to sit back with your pipe and enjoy the uh, February tradition now. I guess this is the third year. So in just a few minutes... Sykes and Rick will be on the phone with me. In the meantime, thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a big, big bowl, because here we go. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. (laughs) Just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore. 
Pestavol, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sightlift Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malta Dolce blend in public. This is Internet Radio. In celebration of International Pipe Smoking Day, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show two luminaries of our hobby. First, purely by age, Sykes Wilford, president, founder, friend from SmokingPipes.com. Sykes, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate you asking me. And from the other coast, way out west, noted author, uh, father of a former guest of ours, and doctor of pipes, Rick Newcomb. Rick, welcome. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. So what I thought we would do is, instead of just a traditional interview... I came up with a couple of couple of questions, a couple of ideas, and I thought it would be fun just the three of us and you know, the few folks listening to kind of bounce around some ideas and some discussions. And I thought I would start it off with this one. Are you ready? Yeah. We're Go ready. for it. All right, so in a previous episode when I was talking to the guy that uh, imports Meerschaum pipes, Turkey has a requirement that the carver be making pipes for 15 years before they are allowed to put their name on the pipes and be considered a master. The word master, or the term master, gets uh, bounced around a lot. I'm wondering between the two of you, what is it that, at what point do you think a pipe maker becomes a master pipe maker? What point does a tobacco blender become a master tobacco blender? Sykes, why don't you go ahead? Well, since I have an older brain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll take I'll take a stab at it. Um, I, I think words like master and artist uh, get bandied about probably too frequently uh, in the hobby. Um, there are so many pipe makers out there these days, and many of them have been making and many make great pipes, um, but they've been doing it for a relatively short period of time. Um, how long before that, you start? How long is a pipe maker active before you start using the term master? I, I don't. I don't think there's a, a clear number of years. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it's as simple as how long has this person been making pipes. Uh, I, I think it's a, a, a number of factors. I mean, there are people. You know, you take someone like former who's been making pipes for sixty something years, and clearly he deserves the term, right? I mean, that's there's there's no question there. Uh, and at the other end of the spectrum, you have a guy that's been making pipes for six months, and he clearly doesn't. Um, but as far as where that line is crossed, I, I'm not real sure. A decade, maybe, depends on the pipe maker. Does Sykes, to you, does it matter if the person has trained other pipe makers that are also successful pipe makers? I think that's absolutely. I think that's uh, a critical component to it. Um, you know, traditionally, we use this word master without without really using the whole journeyman and apprentice bits for pulling these, pulling these terms from, uh, you know, medieval guild structures. Uh, we should think in, in those terms, what, you know, who is not a master? Well, it's someone that is working under somebody else or, um, uh, Brian, Brian, I have a few thoughts if you want to hear. Yeah, go right ahead, Rick. Fire away. Um, you know, 
I spent a lot of time over in Scandinavia, and I've written about this, and I remember Lars Iverson once telling me that in Japan, where he studied, that a young sculptor would be given a 1,000 pounds of clay and told to make 60 identical sake cups. Now, how much does a sake cup weigh? I mean, 60 cups might weigh two pounds total or something. But the whole point, why would he be given a 1,000 pounds? Because the whole point is to make 60 identical sake cups, where there is not one millimeter of difference between all or among all 60. And that is what a master does. That's, that's what he was talking about. I remember working with Tony Rodriguez, and Tony made a beautiful pipe, and I brought it. It was in Denmark. I showed it to Lars. I said, what do you think? He said, finally, Tony is making a really nice-looking pipe. Now tell him to make six more identical, not one deviation. That, that was sort of his um, concept of a master. Yes, uh, Konovitz, learning, you know, in the early days from uh, working where W.O. Larson, working with Paul Rasmussen, working with Sixth and Iverson, and, uh, I mean, making, you know, just doing repairs. I mean, Former told me he did repairs and mouthpieces for two years before he ever made a pipe. Um, and now we go to shows, and there are some people who are in their first year or two, and um, and they're having prices that are comparable to Former's pipes, and that. That's unusual. I wonder about that. I wonder also about the, does the master quality or does the quality of a pipe also have to do with its value as an estate piece? Well, it could be, but I think the reason, to me, a, a pipe made by a master is a master more than anything else, the physics of the pipe. I mean, yes, we all want beautiful pipes, and we, but... Or everybody's aesthetic sense is different. So, you know, what Tom Looker, he likes these pipes that would belong on a mantelpiece, that is like a, a motorcycle, two pipes or a pipe looking like a helicopter or something. Well, I would, you know, I want a pipe that I can put in my bag and, and bring on an airplane and then get off and, and light it up. And so that might be a, a small apple or something. But the key to, to me for master pipes are the, the, ultimately the smoking quality. And even then, that's very subjective. Everybody has different, you know, like I like a little bit bigger draft opening so I can just puff gently and keep the pipe barely smoldering. Uh, other people say, no, they like a tighter draw, and they don't mind relighting it and running pipe cleaners through half a dozen times for each bowl. I mean, everybody's different. And let me, let me ask you this, then. When both of you are starting to look at these, uh, these new pipe makers that are coming up, is it easy for you to tell or easy to identify which pipe makers you think are going to be successful in the future? Um, and if so, what is it that it, what is it that catches your eye about the pipe maker that perhaps looks like they're going to be successful? The big, may I, I, I would ask, how do you define successful? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I would say that it's somebody that is going to be able to make a living as a, as a pipe maker. Cause you know, we we all know that pipe making is not a uh, not a glorious living, but it is one that you know, if you're selling everything that you're making, that to me is successful. Well, to me, it 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 I I look for a passion. If they have a passion for making their pipes, they just love making pipes. They lose themselves in the workshop, and they have a, an aesthetic sense, and they smoke a pipe. So they really and and are willing to study the physics of what makes a really great smoking pipe. Then they have promise. Uh, beyond that, I'd have to turn over to Sykes since he's in the business and I'm not. 
Yeah, Sykes. I mean, from, I'm saying this as a as a customer. From the from the side of smokingpipes.com, what are you looking for in a in a pipe maker before you bring their pipes onto your website? There there are a handful of different things. Obviously, some sort of basic aesthetic sense is important, but really the most important thing is how they respond to criticism and how they want to learn. Uh, which sounds weird. It's, uh, it sounds secondary to to what would be the more important things like, what does the pipe look like? Um, and I'm not saying that that doesn't matter. But, you know, I'm going to tell a, a quick story about Jeff Grasick. He's a good friend of both mine and Rick's. And uh, early in his career, maybe 2003 or 2004, he and I sat up in Chicago in the hallway. I don't remember why we were in the hallway, but we were sitting in the hallway looking at his pipes. <laughs> And it was really early, you know, it was his first year or year and a half of pipe making, and it only made a few pipes. And he asked me what I thought, and I, and I, and I looked at him, and I, I said, well, Jeff, do you really want me to tell you? Uh, and he said, absolutely, I really want to know what you think. And, uh, you know, I, I told him the good things, and then I went through and explained where, where he needed to work. Um, you know, in one pipe might be the engineering, and another pipe, it might have been the shape at the bottom of the bowl or, or what have you. I can't remember at this point. Um, but Jeff, his entire career, and you know, this, he's been at this for more than a decade now. Uh, his entire career is just soaked up information from whoever can give it to him. He's done this with Rick too. Um, among American pipe makers, he's one of the best. Um, and I and and looking at Jeff's career and other people I've seen go from being new pipe makers to being very successful full-time pipe makers, one common theme is always. A willingness to listen, a willingness to take criticism, uh, and then act on that criticism and learn from it. Um, you know, the guys in uh, the guys in Denmark, you know, Lars and and Nana and Yes and Former and Tom. These guys all had formal apprenticeships, and uh, the Americans don't necessarily have the formal apprenticeships. What what they can do in its places is this sort of critical self appraisal that I think is very very important for a pipe maker. So one of the things that I look for in a new pipe maker uh, and one indication of future success uh, to me is, is how they listen to other people. And that might be other pipe makers. It might be pipe collectors. It might be uh, retailers like me. Do you also, this is for both of you, uh, do you also see, and I, I kind of pick it up when I go to a pipe show and I look at somebody who's relatively new or I haven't seen or touched their pipes before, um, I will ask them who they've, you know, who they've worked with, who's who's their confidant, who's advised them on pipe making. Do you see the do you see them emulating that person and then potentially down the road finding their own voice? Uh, I, I, I was just going to say I, yes, I, I think so too. Uh, I think that's very normal. Uh, you, you're going to absorb the the aesthetic to some degree of, of the person who teaches you how to make pipes, just like you would in any art form, uh, and as you as you develop and as you become comfortable in that, then you grow on to other things. One thing I like to do is, you know, I wrote a chapter in my first book called The Best Bargain Imaginable, and I like to look for old factory pipes that I can get for $50 or less at pipe shows or on the Internet and buy them. And then um, if I've met a relatively new pipe maker, ask, him to make me a new mouthpiece um, because I, I just prefer that. Um, 
and I and I usually have a lot of correspondence back and forth about how wide left to right I like it, how uh, high uh, top to bottom I like it, how thick, and 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 this is all personal. It's like Brian. I, I think I sent you a note. We were corresponding about um, Pipedia, which I think is an incredibly valuable resource for the pipe community. Um, yeah. Is it got Thiele or Thiele? Thiele. I'm not sure how to pronounce Thiele. And and I listened to your interview with him on the on the show, and it was fascinating. And I've been corresponding with Scott. And incidentally, if you look at his pipes, he has this beautiful sort of what he calls egg apple ball, whatever whatever it is. It's a very nicely rounded, clearly identifiable shape. There's another new brand new pipe maker named Eric Paulson in St. Paul, who. Um, you know, I'm going to give a talk at the Chicago Pipe Show this year called Pipe Smoking in the Movies, and <clears throat> I'm showing clips of a lot of different pipe smoking scenes from TV shows and movies. And I remember Neil Rohn wrote about, uh, on his Passion for Pipes blog, he wrote about the Hatfield and the, and the McCoys, a History Channel series uh, starring Kevin Costner and Bill Paxton. And so I, I got the DVDs and I was watching it because Costner's smoking a pipe. And he, he's playing this character called Devil Ants uh, Hatfield. And he was the old man of, it was his nickname, I guess, Devil Ants. And so that, that pipe was so unique, I thought, huh, I wonder what that's called. So I went on the Internet, you know, and there, sure enough, there's a Devil Ants shape. And like Rad Davis makes one, that's on Neil Rohn's website. But then this Eric Paulson sort of specializes in Devil Ants pipes. So I contacted him, and he wrote back and said, "Are you the same guy who wrote the books? You know, and it was it was fun, you know." And he said, "Well, I'm not sure I can open it as wide as you like." I said, "Don't worry about that." Don't I said, "Just make sure the mouthpiece is no thicker than like 3.9 millimeters, because I'm really fussy about this stuff." You know, after almost 40 years, you get you know you get to know exactly what you like. All right. So he sent, and it was 125 bucks. He sent me the pipe. I love it. I love this pipe. Now I did have to. Um, thinned down the mouthpiece a little bit, and I did open the shank a little bit, just to 4.0. He didn't want to go that thick, that that wide, because it's a very narrow shank. It's a it's a tiny pipe with a fairly large bowl relative to the size of the pipe. And here, this brand new pipe maker, uh, I had never met. I still have never met him. We've only corresponded by email. But uh, and same with Scott. Uh, I'm going to meet Scott at the Chicago show. We're going to have breakfast on Sunday morning. But that's one of the great things about pipes is that. It brings us all together, you know. I mean, we all have – it's us against the world. There are so few of us relative to the general populace um, that it's just such a great source of camaraderie. And, you know, you talk about – you know, when they, when they talk about the factors necessary for living a long and healthy life, like having a great sense of humor, having love, having goals, um, energy, creativity, reading – intellectual curiosity well one of the exercise of course and healthy eating one of the most important things is having a lot of uh, a social group and pipe smoking allows that and that's what i think is wonderful so that's why i like to buy like a 25 dollar pipe have a new pipe maker who tells me he's great i say okay well make me a mouthpiece let's see what you can do and then and then i can work with that person and sort of evaluate it and now a lot of the new ones will say oh no i don't make mouthpieces i only make pipes and I'm like, okay, well, next, you know, I'll find somebody else. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say it again, Former and Konovitz and Iverson all made mouthpieces exclusively for at least two years before they ever uh, made a pipe. 
we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll have more discussions. I'm going to talk to you, and Rick, you brought it up. I'm going to talk about moods and styles. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn. Or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. We are back, and I want to I want to stick with the with the devil ant shape because that's brought up a thought in my head. Sykes, in particular, do you see a do you see shapes become popular, styles become popular, and then see them phased out? Do you see uh, uh, sizes, shapes, styles coming or coming or going over the past uh, 10, 12 years? Uh, to some degree, yes, Brian. Uh, there's certainly been, there was a big profusion of, of wild, not, not wild, but uh, complicated uh, free hands for a few years there, and, and we've seen more of a swing back towards uh, classic shapes in the last few years. Uh, but I really think what we've seen over the last uh, over the last decade or so is a real profusion of, of different uh, approaches to pipe making. Uh, you know, you go back uh, sixty or seventy years, and you had classic shapes, you had factory pipes, and and then uh, Sixton and the Danes came along, and and they changed the way people thought about what, what would be possible with handmade pipes. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, in the 50s and 60s and then in the 70s, it all went crazy. Uh, <laughs> and then it got a little less crazy in the 80s. And, uh, and I think what's really happened in the last couple of decades is that people have found a, a many different ways to make great pipes. And I, so I, while there is some coming and going, you know, it seems like there's a little bit of flavor of the of the week. Um, you know, it might be Lavats. Lavats seem really popular lately. Uh, Yay. Shapes a couple of years ago. Uh, so it's you know there's a certain amount of that, uh, but but it's pipes are much less faddish than other things. When you think about you know, forget even fashion, but if you think about the cigar industry, it seems like there's a new hot thing every six minutes. Uh, with <laughs> pipes, it's more like every six years, uh, which I find very comforting that it doesn't change that quickly. Um, I'm going to, you were, you guys at smoking pipes were the first ones where I saw the influence of the, of the Japanese pipe makers. I actually, you know, first time I ever saw one or touched one was on your table at a pipe show. Does the cultural aspect of 
pipes from Japan, and now we see pipes from Russian pipe makers and you know, regional pipe makers. Does that help change those flavors or styles? Very much so. I think especially in the case of Japan. Um, what was particularly interesting about Japan uh, to me uh, is that these guys studied in Denmark, where high-grade pipes were being made in the, in the late 60s and the, and the early 70s. And then they went back to Japan, and because the Internet wasn't yet around, they were pretty isolated. So they kind of did their own thing for a couple of decades and then reemerged on the world scene, and we could see the differences. It was really obvious because the information wasn't flowing back and forth quite so much. Uh, and uh, the other thing that, that made the, the Japanese special is that the aesthetic is totally different. It's you know if you have if you, if you make a pipe in in Denmark or in Germany or even France or the United States, you've you've got fundamental you've got the same fundamental aesthetic underpinnings, uh, cultural underpinnings that exist for all of those places. Uh, there are at least they're all very similar. Um, you go to Japan, you've got completely different aesthetic rules. So they brought a, a completely different sensibility to it. With uh, More recently, with what we've seen with the Internet, and the Internet has driven a lot of this, uh, is that everybody sees everything coming from everywhere almost in real time. So the influences fly around the world a whole lot faster. And so a Russian pipe maker might be influenced by pipes made in Denmark and Japan in, in one pipe, and Italy and you know, the United States and the next pipe. So, uh, so what's happened with, uh, with country, countries that have become popular, you know, pipe-making countries in the last few years in, in Eastern Europe and Russia uh, is that they're, they're heavily influenced from these other places, but it, it ends up being uh, – it's it, it not distinctive, distinctively Russian because they have so much access to, uh, to what's being done in other parts of the world. So it's kind of homogenizing stuff or moving the, the moving the the pendulum faster because the internet's a great way to share what a pipe looks like. Exactly, but but not so much that it's homogenizing things. If anything, uh, it, it's it's fragmenting things, but in a good way, uh, you know, in a very postmodern way where you have a profusion of different ideas and styles and constant interaction and, and, and competition with each other uh, that, that leads to real fertility, I think, artistically. Um, I, don't, I, don't think it's, uh, I, I don't think it's leading to everything being similar. In fact, I think it's, if anything, leading to uh, more differences as people see what different things are possible in pipes. Rick, you travel all over the world and you meet pipe, make, pipe smokers and pipe makers all around the world. Are you seeing anything, anything else? Well, I think it's important that if you're going to smoke a pipe in 2014 that, and, and get involved in the hobby of pipe collecting, that you remember the reason you do it is to feel good and to have fun. And that's the most important thing. And so it really doesn't matter. I mean, as I've written, you know, cigarettes are like television, cigars are like the movies, and pipes are like reading a book. It takes time, it takes practice, but once you learn to read, I mean, it's so much more fulfilling than anything else. And in the same way with, with pipe smoking, um, it promotes patience. It promotes um, good cheer. And it doesn't matter if you smoke uh, Bonord pipes or Dr. Medico or, or Medico pipes, Dr. Graybo pipes, whatever. Um, 
it really doesn't, as long as you have a good time and enjoy your pipe smoking. That, to me, is the most important thing. Let me talk about money, then, because that, to me, is a discussion that I hear often from people is, oh, I'll never spend more than $100 on a pipe, or I'll never spend more than $500 on a pipe, and you, know, you hear all these numbers bounced around, uh, and my standard answer to them has been, you know, you, you spend the money on the pipe because the pipe's going to give you enjoyment, and that's a priceless measurement backwards, if that makes sense. Well, you know, it does, and I, I understand it, and there are certainly collectors who are buying um, to make money, and that's their purpose. But as, as I've joked, you know, my wife says I make money in order to buy pipes. I don't <laughs> buy pipes in order to make money. And um, I just think you should buy, I personally think as a collector, you should buy the pipes you like, that you can afford, that you can really enjoy, and not worry about resale value. You know, I'm smoking, I'm smoking a 708 pipe as we, as we conduct this interview. Uh, there are pipes that are going to provide people enjoyment from across, from $50 to $5,000 or $10,000. Uh, people are buying different pipes for different reasons, and it's not as, it's, it's, we hear, we hear a lot of the, I'll never, I'll never spend more than $500 on a pipe, or I'll never spend more than $100 on a pipe, and that's perfectly reasonable. I'd never spend more than, you know, $500 on a kitchen knife, not that I would anything close to $500. The idea of spending $500 for a kitchen knife is, is sort of foreign to me, but I'm sure there are people out there who are very excited about high-end kitchen knives that spend $500 on a kitchen knife. And often, I get this question a lot from, from people outside of the hobby uh, who, you know, are doing a tour of, of the business or something, and, you know, they see a pipe, and they say, okay, how much is that? And I say, well, that's $4,000. And they go, oh, my God, how, much, how can a pipe be so expensive? And uh, and I usually then fall back on my my kitchen knife analogy. You know, I, I I try to probe for whatever their their hobby is, their thing that they spend a lot of money on. And at the at the peak of any craft, there's a small number of people who do it extraordinarily well. And for that small number of people, who set the the changes in the in the industry and who push the boundaries of what's possible in pipes or anything else. Uh, those those pipes or whatever it is are are particularly sought after. Um, I, I don't. I, there's no there's no simple answer in a five hundred dollar pipe is is, is going to give you more enjoyment than a fifty dollar pipe. Probably because it's not necessarily true, and it's it's not even the right question to be asking. Um, because the guy buying a fifty dollar pipe and the guy buying a five hundred dollar pipe are buying pipe the pipe. For some some of the same reasons to smoke it and to enjoy it as a as an, you know as a smoking instrument, but also uh, for its other characteristics. Is it is it a tool? Is it a piece of art? Is it uh, some some piece of hybrid of that? Some piece of utilitarian art? Um, just it's it's not a simple simple question to answer. And I like to remind people that when you're buying a handmade pipe from a pipe maker that you're not, not only are you paying for that pipe, but you're paying for also all the pipes that they screwed up trying to learn how to make that pipe the best way they could possibly. So all that time is lost. That's true. It's like anything else. You know, when, when you hire, 
when you hire an attorney, you're not you're not paying for that hour. You're paying for that hour plus the time he spends in law school. <laughs> you know, you're, it, it's uh, it, it's no different with with anybody at the at the peak of their craft. So, but getting back to the artisan pipes versus factory pipes, on, and tying it to this up to what you just raised, Brian, about um, paying for the time. You see, with a factory pipe. You don't really in, in a factory. You don't really have pipe makers per se. You have somebody who's an expert at picking the blocks of wood. Somebody who's an expert at shaping the pipe. Somebody who's an expert at making the mouthpiece. Somebody who's an expert at polishing or staining. Or you know, each one has like an assembly line. Their areas of expertise. So, whereas with an artisan, you have a pipe from beginning to end. They make the whole pipe. So that is one advantage in a sense for the um, artisan pipe maker. But the advantage for the factory is you just talked about, you know, the number of years. Like I remember once buying a Peterson pipe at the Peterson store in Dublin. I think it was about $125. I go back to my hotel room, and I lit up the the pipe with some banker's tobacco that I bought at Fox's Tobacconist right next door. (laughs) And it just smelled so delicious, and it, it tasted so good. And I was studying the shape of the classical shape of that Peterson pipe. And I thought, my God, you know, it's got a hundred-year history of just perfecting this bowl. It's so good. So there are advantages and disadvantages to both, um, and but they both have a lot of time behind them, in that sense. Unless you're brand new, and then, like I say, if I think if you're brand new, then then you need to focus on the fundamentals like the mouthpieces and uh, draft holes and and all those you know basics. Let me get to two simpler questions, possibly. Uh, the first one, what aspect of pipe smoking has changed the most since you started smoking a pipe? And uh, nothing personal, Rick, but you've been around longer than us, so you go first. <laughs> well, in, in, when I started in the, in the 1970s, if, the main thing is in traveling. If I travel... If I traveled then, it was inconceivable that a hotel room would say, no, you can't smoke your pipe in your room. I mean, that was inconceivable. Um, If I forgot a uh, pipe tool, oh, well, no problem. There's a pipe store right down the street. I'll just stop in and get one. If I forgot pipe cleaners, same thing. Now, if I forget pipe cleaners, I think, oh, my God, I've got a week without a pipe cleaner, you know, unless I can find one. So in that sense, it's obviously become much more restrictive. In fact, I I have a theory. I was telling Sykes in a conversation we had earlier um, that I think e-pipes are something to watch out for. I'd really like to work with pipe makers and and pipe tobacco blenders in creating the ultimate e-pipe where we could have a liquid that that actually tasted like Balkan Sobrani or Dunhill Early Morning Pipe or 965 or whatever you could – I just because you know tobacco smoking is just being restricted and restricted and restricted so much everywhere that if we could only you know convert this into the e-pipe I think there would be a lot of future but that I would say is 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 a huge change at the same time another big change are the, is the pipe shows because of the restriction because we're also isolated and uh and alone in our pipe smoking typically Pipe shows have become great social venues, and um, there's so much enthusiasm and all these new pipe makers. It's wonderful. I think it's just a fantastic uh, sign for the hobby, and, and especially when you see new pipe smokers at, at shows. I mean, I'm kind of out of touch. I'm 63, so I don't really know what 23-year-olds are doing 
uh, on the on the pipe front. Um, I mean, I work with a lot of 23-year-olds, but none of them smoke a pipe. Most of them are women. Um, beyond that, the, that that would be the the two biggest changes: the the enthusiasm for this whole new renaissance of of incredible number of artisan pipes and tobacco blends, unique tobacco blends, and at the same time the the fall off of the and the restriction, the, the fall off of the of the drugstore uh, pipe smoker, um, and the um, the restrictions of of pipe smoking. Sykes, you've got fifteen years in the business side of it. Anything from your side? A lot from my side. Um, I, I you know breaking this up into a few different time periods uh, and going back from before I I was in the business. Uh, I made a point earlier about how people uh, tend to look at the 1950s and 1960s as sort of a golden age of pipe smoking. And in some ways, that's true. There were more pipe smokers in 1960 than there are today. But in many ways, what was available in 1960 to a pipe smoker was a, a factory pipe. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm painting with broad strokes here. I know there are exceptions to this. But it was a factory pipe and mass-produced drugstore pipe tobacco. Uh, people smoked Revelation or whatever in a, a mass-produced or close to mass-produced pipe for the most part. And, and what we've seen in the last 15 years, and even though the industry is much, much smaller, we've seen this great profusion of, of handmade pipe makers. Uh, we're seeing uh, more differentiation among, among the factory pipes. Uh, the factories are doing different things. They're doing different things from each other, doing things differently from how they used to do them, improving their products. Uh, and on the pipe tobacco side, we have this incredible selection of, of premium imported and artisanally made pipe tobacco that we simply didn't, that simply didn't exist um, a few decades ago, or even to some degree 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, for, for, for example, you know, if you, if you, if you go back to 1960, there were, there were a few dozen, blends that were available on the market and then stuff that was blended in shops. Um, today, smokingpipes.com carries something like 1,400. I don't know the exact number, but it's about 1,400 different pipe tobacco facings. You could, you know, if you smoked three or four bowls a day, it would take you years still to try everything. People ask me, you know, have you tried this? And I said, well, you know, in some cases I can say yes, but most of the time I have to say, well, we have 1,400. It's going to take me a while to get to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just picturing you saying I didn't even know we had that blend. <laughs> you know, Brian. Um, can I tell you, Brian? Can I tell you a story about Sykes? Yeah. That uh, when when my first book came out in 2003, I was in Italy and I had a cell phone there, and and I got a phone call from my longtime assistant Marianne Sugawara, and she said, "This fellow, this he sounds like a student or something from." I think he's in South Carolina. His name is Wilford Sykes, and he wants to buy a hundred copies of your book. And he said, uh, he said you'd know who he is. And I said, no, I I don't know who he is. I I don't you know. And she said, but he said he's going to send you uh, send me a check. And so what should I do? I said, well, if the check clears, you should send him the book. You know, and that, that was how we Sykes and I first met. Do you know that his company now sells seventeen hundred pipes a month? <laughs> a month. I mean, I go to a local tobacco store, a pipe store, and I'm surprised if they can sell one a day. Seventeen hundred a month, and I think that they got great customer service. Um, 
I mean, you know, what a tribute. I am just so impressed by this. Sykes, because of the because of the lack of local smoke shops in the 15 years now of smokingpipes.com has the need for communication and customer service with the consumer has that increased greatly? Uh, in some ways, absolutely. Uh, we've two things have been going on on smokingpipes.com over the last 15 years. We've added more and more information to the website. So those who, who don't want to talk to us uh, or just want to browse online and, and pick stuff out, uh, there's a wealth of information there for people to look through and make decisions with. Um, and then the second thing is that we've very carefully cultivated uh, our customer service department um, to be very focused on knowing about pipes, being able to tell, speak to people knowledgeably about pipes, uh, and uh, and pipe tobacco and discuss their needs with them. Certainly, in with with fewer uh, easily accessible brick and mortar stores, I think that's that's become a resource for more people. Um, but there are lots of resources. Uh, to Rick mentioned uh, the the hundred copies of his book that that we bought uh, in the you know in the, in the 2003. Um, you know that's we've sold hundreds of copies of Rick's books at this point. Actually, Rick. It holds the number one and the number three spot for all-time best-selling books on SmokingPipes.com. Um, so, so Rick's book is a huge resource. I mean, there, there are tons of resources. We talked about Pipedia earlier. It's a huge resource. Uh, the Internet has made so much information available to people that, that simply was just not, uh, not available before. Uh, and uh, so there are a lot of great Internet resources. I want to take another break right here. We've still got a couple more questions Hang with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit Sutliff-Tobacco.com. For information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. We are back in celebrating International Pipe Smoking Day with, uh, you know, I guess if they say you you get smarter by surrounding yourself with uh, brilliant people, I just jumped up like a few evolutionary chains here. So let me ask you both, both this. Both of you have had uh, controversial moments in in the hobby, and Sykes, I'll start out with you. But 
How do you handle, I mean, I know early on Smoking Pipes was accused of being just the, just the elitist high-end artisan pipes um, and not catering to the average pipe smoker. Uh, how do you handle controversy like that uh, when it's thrown at you? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Uh, we sell at smokingpipes.com, sell pipes from about $50 on up to many, many thousands of dollars. Uh, and we take pipes seriously at all price ranges. Um, so if I'm, I'm responding, responding professionally and this is, we, we are serious about pipes and it doesn't matter whether they're, they're 50 or, or $5,000. We, we take pipes very seriously. I mean, I, I personally just love pipes. I, I'm smoking uh, a seven LA factory pipe. Uh, one of my favorite pipes right now, uh, as we, as we do this interview, um, this morning, uh, I smoked, uh, uh, a pipe by Nana Everson this afternoon. Uh, I smoked a Costello. You know, I, I, I smoke pipes across, you know, across the price, uh, across the price range and across the, the stylistic range uh, myself. Um, and smokingpipes.com is a company that's dedicated to pipes. You know, and that's one of the one of the things that I've tried to tell people is that because I primarily smoke one tobacco and I smoke one tobacco all the time, I get varying tastes in it when I switch it amongst different different pipes from different companies or different makers and, and different styles. Uh, Rick, you've had your hands full occasionally with people thinking that, well, if, uh, if Rick Newcomb doesn't smoke it, then it must not be any good, or you're only promoting this or promoting that. Uh, how have you handled all that controversy? Well, uh, you know, I just like experimenting with pipes and playing with pipes and and uh, I love all pipes. And like I tell the story in, in Still Searching for Pipe Dreams about Bruce Rogers. Bruce was a member of the L.A. Pipe Club. He was in his 70s living on Social Security, lived in a trailer, and he'd ride his motorcycle to the club meetings. <clears throat> and he never smoked a pipe. His budget outside limit was $30 for a pipe. And he smoked the most beautiful-looking pipes I've ever seen. And every time... <laughs> It, these were Stanwells, and they were designed by Sixth N or Tom L. Tang or Yes Konovitz or some, somebody like that. And these were great pipes. So, and you know, more power to them. As far as anybody, um, I don't know, complaining that uh, that I recognize the greatness of Bo Nord or something. That's too bad. I love Bo Nord, but I also love, um, you know, I've got a pipe made by Huguenins. In the 1920s, that was a an L.A. pipe shop that I bought for $20. And then I had a new mouthpiece made for it. And it, it just smokes like a dream. It's fantastic, $20. So I, I talk about this, and this, that is what I think. I am, I'm not uh, a snob, but at the same time, I'm not going to pretend that Iverson and Konovitz aren't great pipe makers. Of course they are. So is it possible, Rick, that you could say that you're the leading expert on your own opinion? Yeah, I think that's right. I started to say when I listened to the radio show on on, on Scott Silly, where the, in the first part, opening part where you talked about what makes a good mouthpiece, you listed six things. And I remember when I was listening to it, I had a pad of paper and a pen. I wrote down all six, and I thought, wow, I disagree with five of the six. And that is what makes pipe smoking and pipe collecting so much fun. We don't all have to agree. We don't all have to have the same opinions. I mean, for example, you said I love fishtail. 
mouthpieces, and I thought, boy, I can't stand them. I like, I like you know, narrow left to right. Um, I, and then I think you said artisan pipes, really good, uh, are made with lucite. And I thought, no, I like vulcanite. And there were, there were like six different things. Oh, I know, you said the air, the air hole should be the same through the mouthpiece as it is through the shank. And I thought, no, I, I've, I've experimented so many times. Like, I've got this great old Bertram pipe that's wide open in the shank, and yet it's just like a bullet in the, it's just a little hole, straight line in the, it's not the V-shape. It's not the, not the thing that, that so many people say it should be. And it smokes like a dream. So my, own, my advice to all pipe people is just keep experimenting to figure out what you like and make it fun. I remember one Saturday, Ed Lehman, who is deceased, but he was a great pipe collector. He called me and he said, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? I said, well, I'm actually trying to... Um, figure out how to make a cake of my of a pound of, of tobacco. I've got early morning in a bag outside, and I was driving my car over it. And he starts laughing, you know. He was just howling, you know. You're driving your car over your tobacco. I said, yeah, I'm trying to make a cake. So we decided that didn't work. <laughs> so we, we got a press. Anyway, so it, it's fun. That's one of the things about pipes that are so – it's just, it's fun. That's well, why we do it. Well, you you just answered the – this this next question for me and I'll, I'm going to propose it to both of you uh, what is it that keeps you guys excited about pipes uh, do you ever find yourself getting unexcited or kind of bogged down or bored with them uh, and I guess the third part to this question is is you know sometimes people go through People get into a hobby and they get and they get into it and then they drop out of it. What's kept you going in the hobby? And uh, Rick, I'll tell you, one of the things that keeps me going in this hobby is you know stories that I hear of people doing strange things to tobacco to try to figure out how to make it work for them. Right, right. And so I think um, no, you know, I never get tired of smoking a pipe. I always have two or three bowls a day, at least on average. Um, like last week, I was with my grandchildren in New York for four or five days, and I, I think I had one pipe bowl in four or five days, but that's a fluke. Um, and so on average, I'll have two or three pipe bowls a day, and so that, even if I'm not paying attention to the hobby, but when I think of the hobby, what do I think of? I think of reading uh, periodicals. I think of listening to your radio program. I mean, think about this. This didn't exist five years ago. No. I read PipesMagazine.com. I read uh, Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. I read The Pipe Collector. I read Smoke Rings from Sweden. Um, so I read as my, and a lot of the books. I've read uh, Fred Hanna's book. I've read uh, Mark Irwin's book. Um, I've reread my own books. I even read them as an audio book uh, and had fun with that with my son. Um, okay, so there's reading about pipes. There's displaying pipes. You know, A.A. A. Milne, who created uh, Winnie the Pooh, was talking about these snooty uh, young people who were smoking Dunhills. This is back, like, in the 20s or 30s. <laughs> and saying they, they'd rather spend more time polishing and displaying their pipes than they would just, you know, to him, a pipe was a wooden smoking instrument. Well, no, I like to polish and display my pipes. I like to experiment with them. I like to study different types of mouthpieces and different draft holes and different, why does this pipe smoke so much better than that pipe? And so I loved it when Fred Hanna came up with a theory, maybe it's the briar, but to me that, that is a theory and it's one explanation some of the time, but it is not 100%. I don't think there is any one answer for all of these things. That's what makes it so much fun. And then 
meeting a lot of great friends in the hobby. I mean, during the break, we were talking about Mitch Michelson. What a great guy. Yeah. There's so many others. I had one, uh, I had several listeners comment to me that they thought it was fun when I described, when I was reorganizing my pipe collection as, you know, sitting down on the floor with all the racks and everything and playing with my marbles. And I do like sitting down and, yeah, every once in a while taking the couple of racks down and reorganizing them and reclassifying them and putting them, you know, straights here, bents there and, and kind of, you know, relining them up. And it's kind of like, for me, it's like finding all new pipes all over again. Uh, one, you know, wait, wait, let me just say one other comment that, do you know that this is something we, nobody ever talks about. The more you smoke a pipe, you know how you build a cake inside the bowl? Well, you're also building a cake inside the shank. That's very, very important. So if you really want to have a pipe restored to its original state, you should figure out or find out what, what the drill bit size was when they made that Dunhill pipe or that Bertram or uh, Barling or whatever, and keep that drill bit so that you can drill through to make it just, and because what will happen, I, I did this last night with the Yes Conovitz pipe. I know that he drilled his at 4.0 millimeters, which is 5.30 seconds of an inch, and I had a Yes pipe that felt clogged, so I took it out to the garage, took a, an 11 uh, or a 5 well, 4.0 millimeter drill bit, and went through, and this big chunk of cake came into the bowl. So I dumped <laughs> it in the wastebasket and blew through it, and it was perfect. <laughs> so again, that's just playing with the pipes and learning, you know, what you like and studying this stuff. It, it takes time. It's fun, though. One, so I add important. one thing to that. Yeah. To, to, to what Rick said, it's really important to do that by hand, not with the drill. I know there's some personal experience. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, to, to, to speak to that and speak to, to your question, Brian, uh, I, I have, a, I think, maybe a little bit different perspective because uh, this is both a hobby to me and, and what I get up and go to work and do every day. Um, so it, it's always interesting for me, you know, that my, my, my pipe friends, the pipe makers I know, um, the, the business and the personal is all, is all together. Um the, the relationships are so, as, as Rick was talking about, the relationships and the camaraderie and the, the sharing of ideas and, and the little arguments and, and all of it is, is, is so rich and rewarding. Um, and pipes themselves, there's so much, there's so much depth to, uh, depth to pipes. There's so much to explore. There's so much history. There's so much lore. There's, uh, so many different ways to think about pipes. We can think about pipes as smoking instruments and, and talk about, you know, the draft hole and the, 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 the diameter of the draft hole in the sim and the diameter of the draft hole in the shank and the shape of the bowl and things like that. We can look at them as, as art objects. I remember a few years ago, uh, I went on this kick where I was, I was writing for smokingpipes.com, but I was really just doing this because it was fun of writing about Peterson pipe shapes. Well, I've written about pipe shapes for 15 years, and I've written about uh, uh, Danish uh, Danish high grades. I've written about largest pipes and nanos pipes and yes pipes and well, Norwich pipes, all, all sorts of stuff. And I was, I was writing about, about Peterson pipes, and I was, what struck me as I was getting into this is, is how sophisticated the, the aesthetic language is in, in factory pipes. And so it was like a completely different way for me all of a sudden I was looking at these pipes. 
And, and that's what keeps me coming back. I've been doing this for, as you said, about 15 years, and it never gets boring. I'm always finding out new things about pipes. We also change. I mean, Brian, you mentioned Captain Black. I smoked Captain Black for 15 years. I loved it. Now I don't. <laughs> I, I like English Oriental. You know, we have our tastes change over time. I used to like um, a button that was kind of rounded and kind of smooth, not sharp on the tongue. Now I like it sharp on the tongue. So, you know, it, our tastes, our, our preferences change. You know, it's Sykes, you and I both have the advantage of we get to work with this stuff all day long, and then I know for me at the end of the day, yeah, I still like to go home and sit down with a pipe and relax. So it's one of the benefits of our jobs. Indeed. All right, let's wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. There's no right answers, no wrong answers, short or long, whatever comes to your mind. We'll do them one at a time. We'll go in uh, age order. So, Rick, you'll be first. Are you ready? Sure. What's your favorite pipe? Well, my favorite shape is the apple brandy brandy glass um, shape. And Sykes? My favorite pipe is a Nana Iverson apple shape. And Rick, what's your favorite tobacco? English Oriental. Uh, I like early morning pipe. I like 965, Balkan Sobrani, Balkan Sassini. Still could be proper English. Margate. And Sykes, what's your favorite tobacco? Uh, mostly Virginia Periques. Uh, I like a GOP's Head of Delight. I smoke that more than anything properly, pr- probably. Um, uh, a Scudo like you, Brian. <laughs> uh, our shared passion for those little coins. Yeah. Uh, things like that. And Rick, what's your favorite drink? Probably coffee. And... And Sykes, I know the answer, but go ahead, say it. What's your favorite drink? I'm I'm with Rick on this one, yeah, coffee. Yeah, all three of us can agree on one thing finally. <laughs> all right, Rick, when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Uh, either, you know, it's all three at, at one any one time, but probably more television than anything else in the evening. Sykes, do you even own a television now? Uh, we have a very old television that we keep for, for whenever we need a really old television. And so the neighbors don't think we're totally crazy. And so when now, it's I, time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? It's a book. Any particular topics? Oh, I read all over the place. All right. And finally, for you, Rick, any favorite pipe-smoking memory? Mm. Every pipe I smoke... I, I try to just savor the experience. Um, I remember Ken Campbell, the late Ken Campbell, telling me that uh, he would, when he smokes, he would do nothing else. Like he would have answered your question. He doesn't watch TV. He doesn't read a book. He doesn't listen to music. He just enjoys his pipe and savors it. Well, I don't do that. But I would say my favorite pipe experience is after a long day at work where I, I try to work out early in the morning, exercise in the gym, then go to meetings, and, then, and I don't smoke during the day typically. Uh, when I get home at night, I have dinner with my wife, and then afterward I go into my den and kick back and um, and fire up a pipe. And that's it's just so relaxing. I just feel my blood pressure coming down. I unwind with a pipe. I relax. It's, it just promotes contemplation and meditation. Sykes, any favorite memory? My, my answer is very similar to Rick's. I, 
I smoke a pipe all day because I can. Um, and, but uh, I would come home, have dinner with, with my wife, and uh, just sit down and read and smoke a pipe and have a little bit of quiet time. And that's, that's very important to me. And that'll do it, Rick. Your books are, you have one or two on audio now. We have both books on audiobooks. Uh, they're available on audible.com and iTunes. And they're also, uh, both books are available, especially with updated editions on e- ebooks, you know, from Kindle and Nook and iTunes. So we can get yours digitally, audio, in audio, and still in paper, too. Yes, and I'm very excited about the feedback I'm getting on the audiobooks. So it's like Joe Langford recently told me, or Mike Luckler, they, they sent me notes or, or called and just said, you know, the inflection comes through. You're so passionate. It's so, I get a whole different feeling from listening to the book versus reading the book. So I'm very excited about that. And Sykes, a little company called SmokingPipes.com, and you've got a couple other things going on over there with Cornell and Deal and Savinelli as well. Indeed. Um, we, as I'm sure everybody who's listening knows, or many people who are listening know, we uh, uh, teamed up with Cornell and Deal at the beginning of the year, and we've been working with them to uh, uh, make make their tobaccos even better. Um, you know, we're working on some new products for later in the year, and, uh, and we're excited about that. And that'll wrap it up. Thank you both for joining me on a, a special International Pipe Smoking Day edition. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks a lot. And we'll be back in just a minute. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's cupojoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to cupojoes.com, and there it is, cupojoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back to the IPSD edition of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, coming up, mailbag rant at the end, but right now we got another listener submission. This one comes from our friend John Seiler. Welcome to the Pipe Podcast Question of the Week. This week's question was submitted by Mr. James Latakia. His question is, I have often heard the term hawkbill and donkey nut used to describe a specific shaped pipe. Could you please provide me with further information? Now that's a really good question, James. A hawkbill is an old pipe shape, typically with a very curved stem into a rounded bowl. If you place the top of the bowl and the top of the bend in the shank on a table, they will be in the same plane. The benchmark hawkbill is the Costello shape number 84. Many pipe makers make this hawkbill shape, but a Costello number 84 hawkbill is also called a donkey nut. Purportedly, when they were being brought into the country in the 1980s and 1990s, 
One collector described it as looking like a donkey's private part, hence the Costello nickname. Must remember, anyone can make a hawkbill, but only Costello makes a donkey nut. My experience has been that you either love the shape or you hate it. There is no in-between position. Thank you for your question. Until next week, this is the Pipe Shape Maker. You know, personally, having never examined that part of a donkey, I couldn't tell you if it really looks like that, but um, apparently somebody's very familiar with that. Uh, Thank you, John Seiler, for submitting that. Remember, if you would like to be a part of the show, it can be a fake tobacco review, it can be the dumbest tobacco blend ever, want to admit to a dumb story that you've done, uh, whatever it is that you got a specific question for me, record it as an MP3, email it directly to uh, radioshow at pipesmagazine.com. We look forward to all your submissions. Mm, message from the dark side there is. All right, in the mailbag, uh, let's see. Jackson, J-A-X-O-N, writes, Another great show. I've only been smoking a pipe since October and found the show to be very informative and entertaining, especially to someone like me who is new to the hobby. I've been listening to two or three shows every weekend. With last night's show, I'm now caught up. Keep up the good work and thanks. Pylorns wrote that he really enjoyed the lesson on Caminetto, Radice, and Escorti. Thought that was a fun story for everybody. And J.H. Hicks, great show. Love the pipe parts this week. The Nate King interview was a lot of fun. He seems like one of those guys you could talk to for hours and hours and not realize it. Top-notch show, Brian and Kevin. Keep them coming. In addition to that, we got a lot of love for uh, Bob Bittner and his uh, cat hair piece, which actually happened to me once, and I managed to pick out all the hairs. It was pretty much a flake tobacco. Uh, Parker writes that he's catching up on the shows. This was... And in reference to Fred Hanna, was a great interview. We need to get this to every politician in the country. It needs to be on every editorial page of every newspaper. If you haven't listened to the episode with Fred Hanna, you need to. That's uh, episode number 30, if you want to go back and listen to it. And again, on last week's Caminetto story, B.B. the Pipe Smoker writes, I happen to have a Caminetto pipe. It's a Caminetto Business 194. It is my favorite pipe to smoke. Interesting story on the Caminetto company. I never knew that the factory burned to the ground. So does that make my Caminetto rare? Uh, probably not. There's uh, the older There's older ones, and then they're producing new Caminettos as well. It depends on what era. There's some folks that like the older ones. Some folks like the new ones. But uh, Caminettos are one of those uh, great finds on the estate market. Uh, He also goes on to write, great interview with Nate King. I also want to eventually get one of Nate King's gear punks or steampunks pipes. Great rant. I agree with you. It's crazy of Google to think that the Indian statue was a real human being. Can't wait till next week's show. And Casey Ghost also had a uh, run-in with a cat and some tobacco, and it was uh, apparently uh, got a bit of a mess in there. And he went on to say that the guy missed out on mentioning that roadkill was his favorite source of deer tongue. Uh, That deer tongue's a little slightly different. Uh, PJ Hicks said, I figured the Indian was blurred because he was a smoker. 
Gotta love the little glimpses into the techno flaws that remind us that it still helps to have a reasoning brain behind the scenes. No reasoning brains involved in this show. Uh, really enjoyed the interview with Nate King. So many really cool people in our hobby. Could be the beginning of a joke. A rabbi, a gearhead, and a punk rocker walk into a pipe shop. I'm not witty enough to actually finish it. Might be why I haven't won the cartoon caption contest yet. Way to trooper through the snow and ice. Yeah, it was a tough drive here last week, but got here. Uh, yeah, so if you can uh, answer that, uh, give us a punchline for that joke, record it, and send it in. We'll put it in on the uh, on the listener feedback stuff. So, all right, rant time, IPSD edition coming up next. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Yo, Barry, tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there? Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. Cowboy. Cowboy. I hope everyone has enjoyed their International Pipe Smoking Day, had a chance to have a bowl with a friend, gather together, do whatever you can to celebrate this day. But let's bring this music down, bring it down, because I want to do what I did last year and fire up the music. Here we go. It is a call to arms for all of us pipe smokers, wherever we are around the world, to make sure and get out and be seen and be heard as pipe smokers. Yes, take that time when the weather's nice to go out and smoke where you can. Smoke in your car. Let everybody in the world see that we are pipe smokers. This is not a recluse hobby. This is something that we enjoy. It's a passion. It's not an addiction. It is our enjoyment. And we as pipe smokers, we need to get out and not be pushed into the corner. Not be pigeonholed as tobacco-holics. Whatever it is, I want to make sure that everybody gets out there and lets themselves be seen, be heard, gather in groups, find a comfortable place to sit by yourself and smoke your pipe out in public. Let everybody see what a pipe smoker looks like. As Rick Newcomb said, we're few and far between, so those of us that do enjoy a pipe, we need to be out there and be out there in force letting people know that this is our enjoyment, this is our hobby, this is what we like, and you can't take it away from me. Don't let anybody take it away from you. Let all your politicians know, let all your local officials know that you're a pipe smoker, you enjoy it, and get out there and be seen and be heard. That wraps up the IPSD show for 
2014. Remember, follow me on Facebook. Pipes Magazine Radio Show has its own Facebook page, so give us a like there. We appreciate that. If you haven't had a chance, iTunes reviews are much appreciated. Please leave us a rating and a review there. That helps the show. Coming up in the next uh, next month, the JDRF fundraiser auction. We're doing that in conjunction with uh, Pipe Stud Steve Fallon on eBay. If you've got something that you'd like to donate to that, please contact me at brian at pipesmagazine.com. We'll appreciate everything. Last year, we raised over $1,100 for the JDRF to help people like my daughter dealing with type 1 diabetes. That's coming up in March. So, thank you to Sykes and Rick for sharing the stage. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the fine folks at Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time... Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to the bum, 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 bum,